I'm Emily Perrin, and you guys are listening to the Going Offsides podcast with Dana Boyle. Welcome to the Going Offsides podcast. I'm your host, Dana Boyle. Back after a brief hiatus, I took some time to recharge and regroup after what was an awesome college lacrosse season, and I'm so ready to dive right into the Premier Lacrosse League that kicked off in Albany the first week of June. But before we get into any lacrosse talk, I want to introduce a dear friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Emily Perrin. We go way back to our UVA days. Emily played soccer at UVA, and we overlapped during my time on the lacrosse team at UVA. Emily is doing amazing things in the wellness and performance space, and I can't wait to discuss any and all things related to the work she's doing. So welcome, Emily. How are you doing? Yeah, so pumped to be here because obviously we do go way back, wahoo wah, and um, yeah, just chat all things kind of, you know, lacrosse, but also mental health and kind of the performance space. And I love how involved and embedded you are in the lacrosse scene. I mean, I ran into you last year in Baltimore doing the PLL and I had no idea that you were there and I reckon I'm like, who's this figure on the field? I know her. So it's so fun to have you and get to see you. For those of you that don't know, Emily She's a licensed master of social work. She's a mental health therapist based in Baltimore, a mindfulness and performance coach and CEO and founder of Parent Wellness and Performance. Emily, we've talked a bunch about this, but the road isn't always straight and narrow. I remember like my path to college. I got my master's in education. I wanted to be an athletic director and here I am working in TV, which is awesome. So I would love to hear how parent wellness and performance came to fruition. Was this a space that you always wanted to be in? Um, Yeah, such a great question. No. Um, And I always laugh that I'm so embedded in the lacrosse world because I never played lacrosse, but um, you know, that's, that's kind of what sport and connections and just, you know, getting to know people does, but no, I mean, I, Really, look, I'm the daughter of a coach. Um, my my dad coached basketball at UVA for 15 years, the first um, eight years of my life. So that's really, you know, that was, I mean, talk about growing up and living in the world of sport. I mean, that I was doing that. Um, and uh, he also has a PhD in sports psych. So, you know, from a very young age, I was, um, I was exposed to this kind of other element of sport, the, the mental space. Um, and so, no, really when I left college, I got straight into coaching. I knew I wanted to coach. Um, that's kind of how, and I think that's very typical for a lot of athletes throughout their college career. They work camps, they coach club teams, et cetera. So yeah, I got straight into coaching, um, really at the youth level and then, um, went into the, the college game. So I coached three years at, uh, the university of Pennsylvania, um, and thought, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be a head coach. I want to run a program. And, you know, really through my three years of being an assistant and being in that game, I very quickly found out like so little of what I actually loved was the coaching, the X's and O's, the recruiting, which is really so much of what you're doing at that college level. Um, I, I loved the connection. I loved, um, the off field stuff, the relationships, um, and so much, you know, obviously Dana, we went to UVA. It's a, it's a phenomenal school. It's a very challenging academic school. Um, but the Ivy league is a whole different ball game. Um, and so being, you know, not only a, a division one athlete, but also going to an Ivy league school, I was really, I, it just was the first time that I was like, wow, we really, 
from an organizational standpoint, resources, support system, like we don't help our athletes out. We do not equip them with what they need to be able to not, not just handle the performance piece and the competition and the expectations around sport, but the just day-to-day stuff, right? And that's really where I felt like so much of my time as an assistant coach was wrapped up in, like just helping these young women be young women. Um, and I, that's when I knew I had to pivot and I'm pretty open and honest about my own journey with pretty chronic and debilitating, um, anxiety and panic disorder. And so kind of two things were kind of happening at once, to be honest. And, um, I left college coaching and I mean, really parent wellness and performance in my work is created and was created out of you know, personal lived experience of, I really at kind of like 27, 28 years old had to figure out like, how the heck am I going to live my life? Because I cannot do it living from panic attack to panic attack. And so, yeah, I, you know, in addition to therapy and a lot of help in my family, I, I got on a yoga mat. I, I, there was something in me that was just like, I don't know, like, social media and people keep telling you that like yoga and meditation is great for you. So like, I'm just going to try it out. And I did, I got, I'm a pretty like curious person by nature. And I think because, and this is why, like, I think so many of these practices resonate with athletes because they're body-based, right? Like athletes use their bodies to perform and to compete. So very quickly into my journey and committing to a yoga practice and mindfulness and some breathwork stuff, I was like, holy crap, like this is making a huge difference in, in my life. And I was like, that's just, it clicked. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to give back. This is what I want to teach athletes and coaches and bring to the athletic world. Because I think if I had had this eight years earlier, right? 10 years earlier as an elite athlete going through college, or even as a coach to be able to give this to my athletes, I think my experience would have been completely different. And I think my athletes experience would have been completely different. So yeah, that's when I was like, okay, let's do it. We're going to go back to school. We're going to get trained. We're going to get certified. We're going to study. We're going to just throw ourselves. I was really lucky enough to be in the Raleigh Durham area where you're surrounded by division one athletics. And I attribute so much of my, you know, career to Chris Pollard, who's the head coach at uh, Duke baseball, um, you know, because he really, he's, he was the first head coach that really gave me a shot and um, that very quickly exploded and transformed into where I'm at today. So that's great. The yoga mat really resonates with me. Interesting enough, like around 28, 29 was when I started to do some work for ESPN before I got hired. And I remember being so anxious, having so much anxiety, and I had never practiced yoga before because I'm like, if I'm not feeling like I want to pass out and throw up, like it's not a good workout. So it was so cardio based. And I stumbled into a yoga class. I love hot yoga, but I am not kidding you. That yoga mat is magic. I am a different person and a better member of society after I go to yoga. I joke like with my friends and family, I'm like, just give me an hour in the hot room. Like let me focus on myself and I will be really nice. I won't be irritable all as well. So I, I do think that it does make a difference. Obviously you come at it from a more clinical background, but it's something about the breath work and being in your body. It's not a competition. Um, yeah. It's really helped me have a lot less anxiety and be really calm and, and be able to sort of like weather the storm based yeah. on whatever throws up gets thrown at me not perfect by any means but yeah 
I'm curious, you know, when we were in school, like you mentioned, we did not have that mental performance aspect. And I agree. I think I would have been a lot better mm -hmm. equipped to handle. I got two hip surgeries in college. I had no idea the mental aspect of recovering from an injury other than what it was physically. Um, so what do you think yeah. has attributed to the shift where we're talking more about mental health and there's less of a stigma? What do you, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I, I kind of see like this kind of mental health performance psych, mental performance space is like where strength and conditioning was like a decade ago, right? Like, because if you think about it, even, even maybe, maybe a little bit before we were in college, like strength and conditioning was still kind of like, uh, like, oh, okay, like, yeah, let's do it if we can do it, but not. And now it's like, look at, look at where it is. It's like a, a staple and a foundation of almost like every single program. Right. And look at the, like the technology behind it and all that goes into that mental health, mental performance is like, again, we're, we're headed in the right direction. We're not there yet. And I think so much of that is, um, one, right. We've really, over the last decade, seen many high profile athletes, um, get vulnerable, um, speak about, uh, their journey, their struggle with mental health, which I think is phenomenal. It's so needed. It's really led to more conversation, more awareness, um, around mental health. So I think that's, that's part A. I think part B is also like, look at the world we live in, in 2023, right? You and I, prior to starting this, we're talking about the air quality because literally we can't go outside because of the air right now. Right. Like, and look at the last five years, you know, whether it's the pandemic or uh, racial injustice, right? All of all of these pieces that have really just kind of built and built and built to this point where, I mean, really we're in 2023 and we're seeing things we've never seen before in the world. And I think that has really highlighted mental health, the toll that that takes on our mental well-being and therefore, right, the need for people to actually seek help. Um, you know, we have a literally a therapist shortage right now because so many people are seeking counseling and that's amazing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because if you look at some of the, the research, the rates, right, the statistics of, of actual mental health, if you kind of break them down to some of the major ones, anxiety, depression, rates of suicide, all of those were actually increasing prior to COVID. So we were already, we were already on this upward trend, right? Of heightened anxiety, heightened depression, um, more people dying by suicide, attempting suicide, all of the above prior to COVID even hitting. And then COVID hits, right? Uh, Black Lives Matter movement, right? All of these pieces that kind of then again, heighten that. But I think it's really important to also understand because my background is in clinical social work, like mental health is never an individual thing. It's always within greater society and the environment we live in. And unfortunately, right, the world we live in that is bombarded by stimuli, phones, social media, right, we very much prioritize and emphasize the go, 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 the grind, productivity, right? More is better. And unfortunately, we know that that is absolutely detrimental to our mental health. And it, it you know, we're, we're finally in a time where we're breaking. And for athletes specifically, the pressure, the expectation, and kind of this like 
putting athletes on this pedestal and this pillar, right. Where they're just in the, the spotlight all the time is it's a lot. It is overwhelming. It is, um, you know, for many athletes, what we're seeing is it is absolutely crushing. It is hard to handle and that's impacting mental health. So I think those, those are kind of the, um, the, the pieces of the puzzle, right. That are now leading to, more conversation, a lot more, I mean, look at the nonprofits, the organizations, right, that are being started targeting mental health. You have actually athletic departments that are in organizations starting to put resources. But unfortunately, right, we have a lot of ground to cover. So we're, we're, we're going in the right direction, but we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I, I think that's, you make a really good point. But how do you, when you're working with players and teams and coaches, how do you reverse that narrative or combat it of the go, 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 because it is so prevalent. And also every individual or team or coach is dealing with something different. Yeah, it is incredibly hard. I spend a lot of time in conversation um, with athletes about that. And I think this is why, this is why I, you know, one, the foundation of what I do is built around mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is a skill that really, you know, is so amazing for sport and performance, but it's really a life skill. Um, you know, it's a way of being, and it's something that allows us to gain more awareness. And when we have a little bit more awareness, right, we have a little bit more choice around what we're thinking, what we're feeling and how we're behaving in the world. And so, Mindfulness is a great skill that allows us to come into this kind of more aware, more present, non-judgmental space that allows us to really assess this narrative of, holy crap, the grind is not actually really serving me anymore, right? Um, you know, I was just having a conversation with an athlete before we got on, right, about oh my gosh, this narrative that rest, downtime, recovery is lazy, right? And actually, when we think about it, rest and recovery is the most efficient and productive thing we can do for ourselves, especially for an athlete. And so, yeah, a lot of, how do you reverse that? Well, it it takes a lot of time. Think about how long these athletes have been hearing this narrative. It's so ingrained. So yeah, it takes a lot of time. It takes very conscious, intentional conversation. And also I really, I mean, I so believe in the work that I do because I think it really allows um, to meet an athlete where they are, right? It's about balance. I am not by any means saying that, okay, well, great. Let's totally swing the pendulum and do nothing, right? No, 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 no. Like let's meet ourselves halfway and start to really balance out this narrative, right? Um, and I think that is an approach that really serves athletes. Um, and really helps them fine tune their own process of, okay, how do I really combat this narrative? And what does that look like for me? I think that's really important. I love the meet them where they are. I think that that's so important. And even you and I no longer athletes anymore. I still struggle with the go, go, oh. go. And I had a week and a half off and I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like I started cleaning the baseboards and I'm like, I'm not productive, but I'm like, I actually need to rest because I just got off a four month college lacrosse season, which was a grind. It was amazing and filling, but I needed a, I needed a break. Um, yeah. So taking that and allowing yourself to have that grace, I think is so important. And it's a great segue into you working with a lot of athletes from the premier lacrosse league, which kicked off the first week in June. And you yeah. work with players like Michael Sowers, Jules Hennenberg, Mike Slosher. Can you give us an insight into what you're working with 
pro athletes on. It's so interesting to me because those players play all different positions and also different roles within their team. So I'm curious what your work looks like with them. Yeah. Um, yes. Love my PLL guys. Um, you know, it's, um, and the premier lacrosse, oh my God, premier lacrosse league is so it's lacrosse is at such an exciting time. Right. Um, so really this, I, I think of this work, um, again, I really preface, like, I don't have any formal, like, um, sports psychology training. I'm not a sports psychologist. Um, I don't even have, like, there's a certified, like mental performance coaching. Like, I don't have any of that because I, to be honest, I don't really want it. Um, I'm so focused on the the human being <laughs> that is underneath the athlete, because if I think we're not really tackling that and all the facets of the human being's life, right, then we're not actually serving them for performance. So it's a very holistic view. And again, some of this draws from like being a, a, a therapist, I kind of wear two hats essentially. Um, but again, the foundation of a lot of the work I do is this concept of mindfulness. We can practice mindfulness, we can be mindful in so many different ways, but really one, what does that enable a person to do? Well, the first is, is this awareness piece, right? So when, when, why do we need awareness? Well, I really think awareness and insight um, about ourselves and how we show up to the world is one of the most valuable things we can give ourselves um, because that is what enables us to really work with our thinking, our feeling, our emotions, and then how we interact and behave in the world. That's, I mean, that is what it means to be human. So helping them really gain awareness, right? And so that could be just through talking, reflection, a lot of, uh, again, this more, um, what I call it like mindfulness training, right? Which is a program I've developed that I take athletes through. Um, and, and a lot of that centers around this idea of like, well, what is it? what does it mean to have my mind and my body connected? Because I think it's really important that mind, we understand mindfulness is not just a thinking thing, right? It's not, and, and for so long in sport, I think we've, we've treated, right, the, all the physical, technical, tactical pieces of sport over here. And then I know this is a podcast, so I have one hand, you know, to the left of me, and then the, the other hand to the right of me, which is this, oh yeah, this mental thing, right? Well, we need to understand that the mind and the body don't operate separately from each other, right? And actually, the cool thing is that if we look at the nervous system, which is kind of like the, the center of everything, like, more, more communication happens from starting in the body and going back to the brain. So your body is a really central piece of how we think, feel, and act. So we really cannot address our thinking, right? Our mental performance, if we're not also addressing the body. And so that's the mind-body connection. That is mindfulness. Mindfulness is that embodied experience. And so what I'm helping athletes do is really train that. We actually know that we can get more efficient at that communication, that connection, right? And for an athlete, holy cow, that is powerful stuff, right? Because that is the heart of being able to reach peak performance and maintain peak performance. Um, so we're training that mind-body connection and you can do that through so many things. I mean, yoga, right? Which is just 
mindful movement is one of the best ways to do that. We know, um, breath work, uh, again, reflection or kind of more writing practices. Meditation is one. Um, there, there's so many, um, but I'm helping them do that. A lot of that also ties into an athlete's recovery process. I really emphasize that I'm doing an entire, you may have seen this, but entire social media series on the link between mental health and recovery, because they're very intertwined. And so we really need to understand that if an athlete's not actually taking care of their body, that is going to be, that is going to impact how they're, they're able to think, right. How they're able to feel. So they play off of each other. So I do a lot of recovery programming for athletes. Um, and then, you know, a big piece of it is this, like the, again, what we quote unquote call like the inner game, right? Like, how are we talking to ourselves? Right. What is that like? Um, how do we navigate self-talk? How do we navigate emotion? You know, emotion is such a, and for many, I always laugh. I mean, people always think it's interesting that I actually have more male clients than I do female. Um, and it, that actually makes a ton of sense, right? Because also we take the male athlete, right? Stereotype stigma, which is this, you know, man who's not supposed to have any emotion, show any emotion, right? And if it's an emotion, it needs to be aggression, right? It needs to be grit. It needs to be resiliency, and we need, I mean, to be human means we experience a range of emotions. And so many male athletes actually need a space, a person and help to be able to, to navigate emotion efficiently. And so that's kind of like all of the things in one that I am helping my PLL guys, but also really any college professional athlete that I work with. That's a really good point. It really is like mind and body. Yep. I love that. You also, yeah. like you mentioned, work with teams like Michigan, UPenn. You've worked with Duke women's lacrosse in the past and Hopkins. Does your approach change at all versus like an individual who you can have a one-on-one -on -one experience with versus a team when you're dealing with 30 people or so at a time? Um, yes and no, right? So obviously the individual, it's, um, you know, when you're working one-on-one, -on -one, it's, um, quite, it's quite intimate. It's quite a vulnerable experience. Right. Um, and so, um, that's a little bit more of a, a hands-on, um, experience. And, um, I take it differently for each person because no two people are the same. Um, at the individual level, it's much more of, and I really prioritize collaboration, because um, I really find, and I think it's so important that whether we're, whether we're therapists, whether we are coaches, um, whether we admit we are administrators, we need to remember that like, we don't know an athlete better than they know themselves. <laughs> like even, even, even adolescent and high school kids, right? Like individuals know themselves better than anybody else. It's not for me as a quote unquote professional or therapist to come in and tell an athlete to do X, Y, and Z or to live their life ABC. That's not my job, right? My job is to empower them, right? To get to know themselves inside and out so that they, right, can make the best decisions, right? And be just a little bit more efficient in life, right? It is not, and I very rarely, I mean, I think I can probably count on one or two hands, the amount of times that I've said, okay, you need to do this, right? Because that's not my job. My job is to really educate first, right? And then really empower, give them the tools and the skills and say, hey, like, you know you better than anybody else, right? So really by way of mindfulness, right? You're able to tap in, gain awareness, and then 
kind of see like, well, what is going to be best for me? And I think that is how we actually impact and enact change in people's lives. So that's happening. I mean, you know, at the team level, it's a little bit different because obviously I'm going in, I'm doing these more kind of two to three day, um, what I call mindfulness intensives. And so those are team sessions. It's a little bit of, again, that kind of education, but also empowerment. And then a lot of the the individual work stems off of that, right? So I might have a handful of athletes after I go in uh, to work with a team say, okay, I need help with X, Y, and Z, right? Or uh, I want to meet about this, 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 right? So the the team, they they are different, but they're also, there's there's a lot of similarities and overlaps, if that helps. And not to leave out coaches who aren't just doing the X's and O's, they're doing that, adding in schemes, and then they're also the face of the program. And then yeah. also on top of that, supposed to be leaders, and empower their student athletes or their professional athletes, mm-hmm. they need this training too. And you have experience working with some of the coaches. Can you sort of detail what that looks like when you're dealing with coaches? Because they need tools in order to help their athletes be successful, but they also have to be okay in their body as well. Totally. I mean, oh my gosh, I think it's, um, yeah, This is this is something that, you know, over the, over the last year has really come to fruition just because of, yeah, this exact thing, like, and not to mention, right. Like their livelihood is on the line, you know, like that's the reality. That's the world of especially college sport. I mean, professionals, well, like if you don't win, right, you're not going to stay in a job for very long. And so, yeah, there is so much pressure and expectation. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, so there's a lot of, um, you know, to be fair, like the actual, um, the, the foundation of the work and what I'm there, there's a lot of parallels, right. Um, I've gotten, so I've gotten into kind of a lot more like mental health, um, what we call mental health literacy and kind of psychoeducation for coaches. Cause I think that's also really, as we, um, you know, as we create more awareness around mental health and conversation around mental health for athletes, we have to remember that like, Oh wait, like athletes don't, um, exist by themselves, right? They exist within a team construct with head coaches and coaches and within an athletic department organization, right? So all of these parties need the same, the same information, right? They all need to be having this conversation. And so, um, yeah, it's been fun to kind of step into, you know, being a one, the daughter of a, of a coach for a long time, but then also being a coach, stepping into the coaching world and helping, them giving them the, the the same kind of tools and skills that I give to athletes is so beneficial because um and especially like a lot of the the PLL guys right like they're playing professionally in the summer and then they're coaching whether it's high school whether it's college um so a lot of them are able to kind of translate some of what they're using right learning as players in the PLL to go back and take that into their job as coaches. So it's, it's been really fun. And I think it's really needed. And I I think over the next probably year, two years, that piece of my work is really going to take off. And I think it's, it's really needed. And one of those coaches is Mike Pressler, who is now a PLL coach, but he spent 37 seasons as a head coach at the college level. He's at the high school level now coaching in Highland Park, Texas. And I think it's so cool that someone as distinguished as him in his career is utilizing those resources. Like to me, that's what a good coach is. Like, yes, you understand the game of lacrosse, but like, you're also 
have the ability to impact lives like beyond the sport. Like coaches are so pivotal and so important. And I think it can like make or break an experience, whether that's high school, college, at the pro level. And, you know, some of my favorite coaches, like I'm still friends with and colleagues with, and, you know, we've transitioned from like a student athlete role to me being going to their house for like a Christmas party. And I love that. And I think it's really impactful and coaches have a lot of power to empower their student athletes. And I love that that's an area that you're exploring so much of what we've talked about is the relationship piece. Um, And that's my favorite part of what I do. Yes. You know, I'm on the television, but some of these players that I get to interact with are absolutely some of the most impressive individuals that I've ever met, whether they're Mm -hmm. ballers on the field and, you know, in the classroom, they're pre-med and they're going to go on to do bigger and better things than we could have ever imagined. It's so rewarding to get to be a small part of their journey and tell their story. I don't take it lightly. I love the opportunity, but Mm -hmm. in your experience, the relationship side is so important not just to know the athlete as an athlete, but the entire person. Is that the same experience that you have at feeling like a fulfilling endeavor? 100%. Hands down the best part. It's why it's why I do what I do. Um, you know, it's, uh, I could care less if somebody gets MVP, if somebody wins a game. I literally like people, a lot of times, like if I'll watch a game with someone, they're like, who do you want to win? And I, I don't care. I don't care who wins. Um, like, I mean, do I, do I like, do they want to win? Absolutely. And I, I want to support them in, in what they want, but I could care less if they, if they win games, if they even go on to have, you know, a 10 year long career, right. Cause the time that we have together and the relationship and the bond that we're forming is right now. And that's what is so rewarding. Um, and really to, to do this work and to do it really well you, the relationship piece, right? Because there's such a vulnerability in so much of the work that I'm doing. And there's a, there's a safety piece, right? Um, they essentially, right? Like they are, um, yeah, it, you, you use the term, like, I don't take it lightly. And I think that's so beautiful. Like I don't take for granted at all the amount of trust, right? It requires for someone to seek me out, right? I, that is, um, you know, oh my gosh, that is like the utmost, um, like most precious thing in life. Right. So, um, that, that relationship piece is absolutely huge. It's the foundation of every single, you know, uh, whether it's individual work team, et cetera, like the relationships is to be fair, what makes life worth living. Right. Um, and so to get to do that work with people every single day is absolutely like nothing tops it. I always say that people make the place. And I remember when I first started at ESPN and I was like, I think being on TV is really awesome, but that sort of cool factor wears off when you're doing so many games in a weekend. But what keeps me wanting to work so hard and it seems like you're very similar is the people. Like I want to do a good job for the sport and for athletes that are putting in so much time that we don't see when they're on the TV for one game that's my job. I want to make sure that we're portraying the best version of them. And maybe that involves telling a story about a time they struggled and had some triumph, but it's so important that people make the place. Do you have an example that sort of sticks out to you as maybe one of the more rewarding examples that you've faced? 
Yeah. I mean, I've got, God, I've got so many, um, you know, I, I think it's, I'll share a pretty cool story, which is that, you know, so I, I kind of split my time right between, um, so I'm a, a licensed therapist in, in Baltimore, um, and I work in private practice and then I have my business and they're, they're separate entities, but, um, at the, end of 2022, um, I did this kind of cool exercise with all of my clients, um, in private practice where it was just kind of this like yearly review. Right. And it was kind of a bunch of prompts that you just kind of pulled out of a hat and you answered them. And, and one of them was, um, who's the person that made the the biggest impact on your life this year? And, you know, my clients would answer it. And then sometimes they would ask, my clients would ask me to answer it. And I kind of like, as soon as that prompt came out, I was like, oh my gosh, hands down, Michael Sowers. Um, we started to working together in, in January of 2022. And to this day, I don't think there's been a week that we've gone by that we haven't talked. Um, we, we, um, you know, I mean, texting, call all the time. And, and the, the, you know, so much of that is like, yeah, sure. Are we talking about performance and, but we're, we're, ta we're talking about life things, right. And getting lunch every time that I'm in Philly. And like, we have, um, you know, he, I get so much out of this work. Like I learn from my clients a lot of times. And, and this is why I like, I so believe in like authentically and genuinely like living what you do. Um, a lot of times what I do is like, if I'm taking an athlete through something or asking them or, or prompting them to think about or do something during their week, I'm doing it too. And so the dialogue that then, right. The connection that then that creates between me and my client is, oh my gosh, it was so incredibly moving and rewarding um, because I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from this work is that one, right, we are, humans are wired to connect, right? And at the end of the day, I think one of the most important things for any human is to know that we're not alone, to know that we're not alone in our lived experience, whether it's success or whether it's failure or whether it's neutral. And so to experience this, this kind of connection that allows me and my client to, to know that, oh my gosh, like we, we're not alone in this, right. It's so, so moving. It's so profound. And, you know, really Michael, um, you know, Jules was kind of the, Jules Henningberg was kind of the first PLL guy. And he was really my introduction into the, into the PLL. Um, and I, I met Michael through Jules and, and, um, you know, throughout the year 2022, um, yeah, it was just the, the work that Mike and I have done together. It really moved me in, in the year of 2022 and it allowed me to grow both personally and professionally in a way that I, I wasn't aware I was capable. And, um, I think that's a huge, that's a huge success story, right? Um, that's, uh, and, and I think he, he, he might say the same, um, you know, I don't know, we'd have to ask him, but, um, you know, that is just so, so cool. And I think the, you know, I think Jules is another great example in that, like, we are, we don't just work together because we also do a lot of his mission prime stuff and his youth stuff. Like we are, we are friends. Um, I mean, this is a guy, Jules is a guy that I could pick up the phone and call if I needed him, right. If I was in trouble and vice versa. And I think that is, I mean, gosh, that's what makes life rewarding, right. Having, genuine real people that you can trust and you can connect with um feel safe around um and and it's and and learn from and grow from right um so i think those you know that that would be um 
some stories of success in my work. That's great. We should just end the podcast now because that was a great story. <laughs> I have nothing else to share. <laughs> no, but I, I do, I do, that resonates with me. I think when I'm reporting or I'm calling a game, I always want to go to practice if my time schedule allows because I need to be putting in the work to build those relationships. Like they don't happen overnight. Like you're saying, it it takes a while to build someone's trust and to build a rapport with them. And that's what makes life so special to have those connections. And, you know, we share a same sentiment and the fact that I feel so grateful to be in that space. Um, This has been really awesome and so informative are you available to hire? Because I love you and I want to be my therapist. <laughs> I I am available to hire. I am taking on, I don't know how, I am taking on work right now. Um, it seems to, I told myself, and you'll laugh at this, Dana, right? Like I told myself, okay, you know, especially you and I kind of, because obviously we work in similar spaces. Like, you know, that the fall and the spring, like they're heavy for us, right? Because college, you know, is their sports are in season. And so it's go, go, go mode. And then you get the summer in college sports kind of like, you know, take a back seat. Um, I told myself I was going to have a really nice, peaceful summer. And it is anything but that I am running around like a chicken with my head chopped off and already planning for, I mean, I kid you not like the spring and fall of 2024. So, um, yeah, I mean, teams, coaches, athletes, like, um, yes, people, people in the state of Maryland, um, I am, uh, I'm around, uh, I love this work. I genuinely love it. I think it's so needed. And I think the, the need, is what also fuels me, right? Because um, we are literally um, changing lives, right? And that's that's a really big deal, especially with kind of the amount of mental health stuff we have going on. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm around. <laughs> For the love of the game is what I like to say when I Absolutely. tell myself that I'm gonna take a break and then I keep saying yes to things, but I love it. Mm-hmm. it it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like work. So if people- yeah want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah. So, um, I have a website, parentwellnessandperformance.com. Um, I am on pretty much every social media outlet, um, not TikTok because to be fair, I just, I can't figure it out. I don't know how to work it. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm like, if someone did it for me, then I might have one, but I can't figure it out. So Instagram, I am Emily Perrin, LMSW. Um, I have a Twitter, Emily L. Perrin, and then I have a YouTube channel, um, uh, which is, I don't know, just type Emily Perrin YouTube and I'm sure I'll come up. So (laughs) awesome. Well, you are the best. I appreciate all that you've shared, your ability to be vulnerable. This has been so informative and I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. So Emily, thank you so much. And Ah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much.